Morning, Calvary. Today's a good day to be together when we hear news like that in our partners and around the world. There's something about our world right now where we're more keenly aware of pain, suffering, sorrows, wrongs. And this is the perfect place to bring all of your emotion and sorrows and griefs because today is Communion Sunday. And today we, we gather around the Lord's table for this is the proclamation that, that the pain and suffering of the world is not the final story. And I'll give you a moment in a little bit. If you need to grab this, if you didn't pick it up on the way in, we're going to take this together. But it's a great day to be at the Lord's table because we're in a text today in our series in Hebrews that speaks of the theological sacrifice of what this is. If, if you're new this morning, we've been going through the book of Hebrews, which is the exaltation of Christ is he's writing to an audience that's going through suffering and persecution of their faith. And in order to build endurance, steadfastness, confidence, and courage, the author takes their eyes off of their situation and gets them to look up to Christ and to see that Christ is greater than all things. Christ is superior over all their experiences, that their eyes need to be fixed on the one who is the greatest. And the author has been unpacking how Jesus is greater than the angels. He brings a greater message as the son of God. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the priests. He's greater than the law. And in these last three chapters that we've been looking at, chapter eight, today in nine and 10, he's unpacking three parts of what Christ brings in the new covenant. A new covenant, a new mediation between God and humanity, between a holy, perfect God and sinful, broken, wayward humans. And last week, we looked at the covenant piece of this. And then today, he's going to look at the sacrifice and the sanctuary piece of this whole sacrificial System. So if you missed last week, I'd encourage you, go online, grab that message. It talks about Jesus as the new covenant, a new terms of, agree- of agreements that have been made in Christ. But that covenant that Christ brings, that's so good. It's a covenant of grace and mercy. It's a covenant established in his righteousness, not ours, only takes effect, is only dispensed upon a death and the shedding of blood. It's required for a new covenant to be here that a death and the shedding of blood would happen. And so grab your Bibles. We're going to Hebrews chapter nine. Hebrews chapter nine, and we'll look in verse 11. Actually, we'll start in verse 15. It says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. This is talking about all of what he said in chapter eight so that those who are called may receive the promised internal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. That word will there could also be the same word for covenant, is the same word for covenant. And what the author is saying, having just unpacked all the new premises of Christ's covenant, he says that only gets enacted. It only can begin. It can only be dispensed upon the one who makes it death. 
So the word for will is like last will or testimony or testament. So think of a family unit, parents or grandparents that have included you in their will. When will you experience the benefits of their will? When they die. It would be wrong for you to receive any of their benefits while they're still living. But their will is enacted when they die. So Christ can say all that he wants about his accomplishments. He can say all that he wants about what he's going to do for you. But until he dies, the will is not enacted. It's not live. But upon his death, all of what Christ promised comes alive. It's enacted for us. And so at the end of chapter 10, all of chapter 9 and most of chapter 10 is talking about all of the ways in which Christ's work is greater than the previous work, the sacrificial work of the priests in the temple. And these are the concluding words in chapter 10, look at verse 14. And then we're going to kind of hang chapter 9 and 10 on all of these words. So verse 11, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering of sin. That's kind of the culminating phrases that the the writer of Hebrews has. In contrast to these two sacrificial systems and two covenants in which they represent, Jesus being superior than to the priests. Simply put, this is what the author is addressing. That in the priest's covenant, it was ongoing, provisional treatment of sin. That's what it was was enacted. It's under these priest sacrifices daily with bulls and goats and blood. It was ongoing. It didn't end. There were daily, regular, annual sacrifices. And that, that those sacrifices were provisional. This was never meant to be the eternal covenant. It was intentionally deficient, as we looked at last week. And it's only a treatment for sin. Not so with Christ's. Christ's work is very different. It's finished, it's permanent, and it's the cure How many of you have chronic pain in your life? 20 years ago, I broke my back. Didn't even know it. Broke my back. I had back pain ever since. And I would go to a chiropractor. I'd go see doctors. I'd take some Advil whenever it would flare up. And the best thing that doctors can do for any of us is what? Ongoing, provisional treatment. Isn't that right? And so we keep going back to the doctor. Maybe we we go back and they give us a new remedy, but it's ongoing. It's provisional. And it's a treatment. It's not the cure that we need. At best, we could have a surgery done, but even then, we'll probably have some other ailments with it. 
What we long for is for things to be set right, to have the fullness of healing done. Now, if that's just physical, our greatest need is spiritual. For the reason we die is because of our sins. For all have sinned, and the consequence of sin, the scriptures teach us, is death. The reason there's death in this world is because there are human beings like me and like you who have sin. Now, you might not like the word sin. We can go with the word wrong, what's bent, wayward, disordered in our life. But it's failing to live up to God's perfect, holy standard. And what God has implemented so that we can be with him because his desire is for us to be with him is this sacrificial system that began in the Old Testament. So in verse 11, when it says that the priests stand daily in their service, they're standing daily at the tabernacle and then the temple. So flip with me to Exodus chapter five, or you can just look at this on the screens. Exodus 25 is the end of 24. We looked at last week after the covenant comes in with Moses and the people. He then talks about this tabernacle. This is a temporary temple, a place of worship for all of this sacrifice to happen at. And the priest's duty, their work was to serve at the tabernacle. Chapter five, verse 20, sorry, verse eight. God says to Moses, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Just catch that for a second. The whole reason that God wants a sanctuary is not so that people can just praise him because he really needs our affirmation. It's so that he may dwell amongst us. God's desire always from creation is that his people would be with him. God desires that you would be with him, live with him, that he would be with you, dwell with you. And so here's the first step in this redemptive history in God dwelling with his people through a temporary portable worship center. So let them build for me a sanctuary that I might dwell with them exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle. So there's a pattern that's gonna connect with a heavenly pattern as the writer of Hebrews tells us. And all of its furnishings, you shall make it just after this pattern. It's going to be, as the writer of Hebrews says, a copy or a shadow. It's not the ultimate thing. It's not the ultimate reality of God's dwelling place, but it is a pattern, copy, shadow of God's desire to dwell with his people. So go back to Hebrew, or actually hang here and go back to Hebrews chapter nine for a second. We're gonna keep these two places in our, our Bibles with our fingers here, okay? Now, what does this temple or this tabernacle look like? Well, here's a picture from Crossway. We put it online with our leader's guides. If you wanna grab that this week, you can't read any of that text. Don't worry, don't even try. But here's kind of a a, a slice of it where there's two places. There's the holies and then the holy of holies. And where the the priest is standing is the outer courts. And you're gonna have all of these different elements that represent, do you know what they represent? The Garden of Eden, Eden. There's a lampstand in there, which is the tree. There's light. And what it's gonna represent is God's dwelling with his people. And it goes from the outer courts to the holies place to the Holy of Holies, where the priest can only enter one time a year and make sacrifices for the people's sins. Yes, they're making sacrifices every single day, but one time a year, the high priest would enter the most holy place of the tabernacle and temple. 
And there they would make atonement. This is called the Day of Atonement for all the sins that were unmentioned or unsacrificed for the year so that the people could be right with the God every single year. But this was ongoing. And so the, the priest stands at his service every single day. Now, back in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, every priest stands daily at his service, at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices over and over and over again, daily, regular, annual sacrifices he offers. That's a lot of blood. You know, when we think of priests, we think of them in like their show robes, looking beautiful, unstained. That's not the picture you would have if you were a first century Jew or if you were part of the, the, the group that left Exodus and, and saw this tabernacle installed. What would be a more familiar scene would be like going down to your local butcher shop. They're just butchering animals every day, all day, every year. It's a bloody mess. Why is there such a bloody mess here? Well, because sin is serious. Because the wages of sin is death. And so to atone for your sin and not have you die, God made a provision that another, an animal, would die in your place. The shedding of this animal's blood would atone for the sin that really ultimately requires our blood. So Leviticus, you have to go there. But Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, this is the installment. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Now, all of us in this room should say, man, is that really the consequence for my sin? Is that blood must be spilled? Yes. Back to Hebrews chapter nine, verse nine. According to this arrangement, priests standing in their duty every single day, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but only deal with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. These were never intended to fully take away people's sins. It was simply to atone for, cover over, but never be able to remove. They are like therapies, therapeutics. they're, They're not the remedy of it. They can only cover over for a time period. But they're looking forward to a day when a better sacrifice would come, when the ultimate sacrifice would come to remove our guilt. See, it says it can never cleanse us. It can never cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. That's the internal real work that needs to be done not just the outward expression of this internal disease, but the disease itself must be cured. And then in verse 11, he turns the corner and says, but, but when Christ appeared, so now this is, this is the time of reformation, but when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not in this creation, 
he entered once for all into the holy place. So he's like the high priest going into the holy of holies to make atonement for their sins. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. That in Christ's work, it is his own blood that has spilt. It's his own death that is given that brings what's called this eternal redemption. It's a secure, permanent, lasting, final work of sacrifice that is in his own blood. It's in his own work. Look down at verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly. He doesn't do this every single day, regularly, annually like the priests. He doesn't offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is what enacts a better covenant. Yes, it's so great that we have a better covenant, but it only comes at the death of the one who testifies to this will, that is Jesus Christ. And he doesn't do it by blood of goats and calves and bulls. He does it by offering himself a perfect, spotless, unblemished sacrifice. This is John the apostle who sees Christ coming and he says, behold, behold, there he is. The one we've longed for. Remember what John says? the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There it is, the ultimate, singular, perfect, eternal sacrifice that Christ has come. Chapter 10, verse one. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. Remember, it's just a shadow It was just a signpost to lead you. You follow the shadow to where the light is displaying the true form of the one whose shadow is cast. The true realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. So people want to draw near to God. I want to be in relationship with my creator. But the old sacrificial system could never perfect those who wanted to draw near. Otherwise, speaking like if it actually could, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers have once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? I mean, just the fact that they continually do it every day, regularly, every single year, displays that it doesn't ultimately work. The reason we keep taking that medication the reason we get that shot of a steroid, we get an injection in our eye, is because it, by the, the principle, it doesn't actually work. If it worked, you would only have to do it one time. But it doesn't. And so verse three, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Only Christ's work takes away sins. And so back to verse 12, we read earlier, but when Christ, right? So this was all happening 
This is regular, this is routine, it doesn't work. But when Christ, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool, a footstool. Now we don't quite get this, we don't get this um, comparison where the priests are standing and Jesus is sitting. The priests are standing because the priests are busy at work because there's endless work to be done. Most of us, I would say is most of us probably sit down when we work. We sit down at the desk and then we begin to work. But not so for the priests, not so for the majority of of most people in Jesus' day, shepherds, priests, carpenters, you would stand and you would be working until your work was complete. And when you finished the day's work, when work was finished, what would you do? You'd sit down for your work was complete. So the contrast here is that priests stand because their work is constantly incomplete. It's provisional. But Christ sits because his work is finished. And he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool and is waiting for his return. Chapter nine, this isn't on the slides, but if you look in your Bible right here in verse 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Christ's first coming was to deal with our sin. His second coming is to receive all of those who have believed. His second coming that he's waiting for, he's patiently waiting for anyone who wants to receive his saving work, And then at the right time, Christ will come and gather all of his children. That's the beautiful picture of Christ's finished work of sin. There's not another sacrifice to be made. And so simply put, you can say, the old covenant dealt with sin provisionally. That's what it did. At best, it dealt with sin provisionally. The new covenant deals with sin permanently. Even though it says win permanently, sin permanently. It's like a win, you know, it feels like a win. (laughs) That's the contrast that we're making. Is that Christ has a better covenant that's been enacted, like a will, only upon someone's death. Christ died, shed his blood on the cross once for all. And it never needs to be repeated. It's permanent, it's finished, it's complete. I love, there's this verse in here that is like the verse on your salvation. Chapter 10, verse 14. Looking at Christ's atoning death, for by a single offering, one thing, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who are being saved. You can think of your salvation kind of in three ways, past, present, and future. That you have been saved, that you're being saved, and that you will be saved. The $10 theological words on that is justification, sanctification, and glorification. Meaning you've been justified, legal terms, declared right with God because of Christ's atoning work. And then it's taking effect in you and transforming you and conforming you to the likeness of your savior, Jesus Christ. And that one day it'll be a finished, complete work and you'll be with him in glorified bodies like his for eternity. 
And so you can say, I've been saved, I'm being saved, and will be saved. In one single act, he perfected those who are being saved. Now, the the analogy that we use around here for this is the idea of marriage. In a single act, you go from being single to married. In a single act of vows of, I will take this man, I will take this woman. In a single moment, you go from being fully 100% completely single, no matter how much you've been faking it, you're single. You're pretending, you you don't have joint bank accounts yet, so you're single. And then you're married. And you are fully 100% married. And all the problems and troubles you get in is pretending like you're not married. You're married. But on the moment you're married, do you have any idea how to be married? I know. No, you have no idea. I had no idea. And so through 20, 30, 50, 70 years, you're becoming what is already fully true of you. It is quite the mystery, isn't it? But we're also in progress. And so we should be patient with one another, saying that God has a sanctifying work on my kids, on my husband, on my wife, on my friends, on this world, on me. And I want to be part of that sanctifying work that he initiated, inaugurated in his his crucifixion. In one single act, he perfected those he is perfecting who will be perfect. What a wonderful mystery. But we can simply contrast these two covenants and the sacrifices of Christ by saying this. The old covenant sacrifices was a reminder that you are a sinner and you need a sacrifice. Remember that from verse three? It stood as a reminder, this day of atonement, that you would never forget that you're a sinner and you need a sacrifice. But the new covenant sacrifice in Christ is a reminder that your sins are forgiven and you have a savior. And so when we come to the Lord's table as Christians, we come as a reminder. Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. This is a new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this as a reminder. What am I reminding myself? That I have been saved and that I have a great savior who sits at the right hand of God interceding for me on a throne called grace, dispersing mercy and grace for me in my time of need. And that's what we gather around today, church, to be reminded of Christ's singular, perfect, eternal work. That's not a treatment for our sin. It is a full and complete cure. Let's prepare our hearts to receive communion. If you haven't yet grabbed one of these communion cups, they're right outside the front doors there. You'll have a moment to grab one. Paul tells us, really he warns us not to eat this in an unworthy manner. And he says, if if there are things that aren't right with you and your wife or you and your kids, you and others, if someone has a grievance against you, Christ has died for that. But go and be right with them before you take. 
And so for some of us in this room, as we've allowed sin to be in our life, though it's forgiven, we, need to, we just need to confess that to the Lord. We need to acknowledge how we've lived maybe this week or this last month or in the last few hours getting kids ready or whatever to church. Our heart is far from you, Lord, and so we just confess and we acknowledge the things that we've done that necessitated Christ's coming. And we come to the Lord's table in gratitude that we have been saved. If there's anyone in the room who has never received Christ before and you still sit under your sin, it's still counted against you because you have not given it to Christ. What are you waiting for? The greatest gift in the universe is yours. It's a gift by grace through faith in Christ that is received through repentance, turning from your sin and acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God and submitting your life to his lordship. And so if there's anyone in here who has yet to do that, here are some words you might borrow. Father, I recognize I'm a sinner. And I need to be forgiven. I recognize there's no other way to be forgiven except for the atoning work of Christ. I've done a bad job being the master of my own life and so I recognize that Jesus is the son who has died, who has been buried and rose to new life. And Father, I ask that he would forgive my sins and that he would be the Lord of my life. On that evening, Jesus around the Passover table, a time of remembrance of God's great deliverance out of Egypt. A greater deliverance was Christ bringing us out of death from our sins. He took bread from the Passover table. And he said, this is my body. That's given to you. Just hold that for a moment. Hold, hold that body for a moment. He gave himself up for you. Now take in remembrance of him. Our sin separates. And Christ has come to make a way. For sinners like me, like you, who desire to draw near to God, to be in his eternal presence. After supper, he took the cup from the table. 
that cup that reminded them of the, the lamb's blood that was spilled and marked their doors for Passover. All those who mark their life with the blood of Christ, his judgment passes over. For it has landed on Christ. And so this is a new covenant that was established in the death of Christ and the shedding of his blood. Take and drink in remembrance of him.